Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. Welcome to episode 101. I can't believe it. (laughs) We're back. We took a month off and guess what, guys? We're sitting in the same room. It's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Sally, I can see your face. I know. I'm sorry. even more beautiful than I remember. (laughs) And you're just as good of a liar as you've always been. No, you're gorgeous. (laughs) And you're gorgeous. No. Well, it's so um, great to be here. It's great to be back. How's your month been? Man, I don't even know. I feel like I did nothing this month. I just like worked and I have nothing to report. I was asking Ben before I left to come over here. I was like, quick, what have we done in the last month that I can talk about on the podcast? And he was like, "I I don't know. We went on a trip i was like i know that's not good enough i went to I the need renaissance it. festival ah <laughs> how was that fine yeah. it was a renaissance <laughs> festival we had a good time i always like the renaissance call me a nerd i like i like I, yeah. you know what i just like people doing their own thing i just I like too. to see people not i like i'm not really i'm not into like sci-fi or um, fantastical whatever or any of that stuff. Like, I don't watch Lord of the Rings. Like, I don't care about that stuff. But I really just like being around people that wholeheartedly are into something and love it and it's their passion and I just like watching. I (laughs) 100% agree. I feel like... Maybe especially as comedians, like, we're kind of conditioned to see the world through this really cynical view. Right. And so to see people who are doing things that are, that is like, you could be thought of as like silly or like with no kind, no, not like not even giving into that at all. Just being like, I like this. This is fun. We're all agreeing to be in on this together and just doing it and yeah I love it so much and I'm like I want more of that yeah yeah even if it's like the 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 weirdest little obsession or whatever or or hobby like um have I talked about this on the pod I feel like this is the second time I brought this up but my friend Nikki um when I first met her and this is like I feel like bird watching is like cool now or something oh is it I don't know (laughs) I hear more about bird watching but I remember like well you're in your 40s now I know now we watch birds (laughs) but I remember my friend Nikki when I met her like 10 plus years ago yeah she was she's just like such a natural beauty like she she wore she wore to dinner like it was our first time meeting each other we were with our husbands and she just wore to dinner like an a t-shirt jeans and had like just a bob haircut no Mm -hmm. not a stitch of makeup on was was such a natural beauty yeah and then she just talked about um birding and bird watching the whole time and you know when i was coming i was the back then it was more of like a like night 
person. I would yeah. like go out or whatever. <laughs> night person. And the lady of the night. <laughs> I was no, more... but like I was like you know and yeah. going to clubs and stuff. Yeah, not you know whatever shows and whatever. But like just sitting and talking to her about her liking birds and watching yeah. birds. To me, she was the coolest person I had ever yes. met in my life. Confidence I and individuality is yeah. like. It's so intriguing and so sexy. And yeah. Yeah, I love that too. I'm like, I know. I was just like, I want to be you. I mean, I'm like, birds? I hate birds. They freak me out. They're actually really scary. Um, but I want just, I just yeah. wanted to like love something as much as unapologetically yeah. love something and just know something that I'm just that into. Yes. I could talk about it for hours and just be so self-confident. Yeah. I just thought she was the coolest. She's still the coolest. Hi, Nikki Smith, if you're listening to this. That's amazing. I want to know. The coolest. Okay. I know we always say we're going to ask you guys things on Instagram and then we forget, but this, I'm really going <laughs> to ask this on Instagram. I want to know. What is your bird watching? What is the the quote unquote like, nerdy thing that you're stamps into? Or yes, what is like what are you wholeheartedly, unapologetically into Quarters. that you just love? <laughs> you know, so like they're from all the states. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, can I tell you the nerdy thing that Ben has been doing that I I love about him is yeah. that so you know we hiked the Appalachian Trail. I can't shut up about it. Uh, but he That's cool as fuck. It's cool as fuck. But he um, so he's been he got this app where basically all of the miles that you walk during a day, it'll like show you how far you're going on the trail. So his goal is to like hike the AT in this year just like oh, walking wow. around our neighborhood and he'll be like every night he's like do you want to hear what I went past today? Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> it's like, I just, it's, I really like it. I'm like, I, I like it for you. I like that you like it. That's it's awesome. Great. It's I great. I love that. So yeah, I want to know what everybody's, I, what everybody's bird watching is. And then Jen and I, our goal is to find our own bird watching. I mean, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like mine is Real Housewives. housewives. <laughs> I know I was going to be like, is mine watching baking shows? Because I that's know, sad. Like, does that count as a thing I could talk about for days and days and hours and hours? Jen, is this your way of telling me that you wish we would start a housewives podcast yes i mean there already are plenty of them i know you know bitch sess is my favorite podcast besides ours yeah um but speaking of bitch sesh um you recommended casey wilson's book right wreckage of my presence or wreckage of your presence wreckage Wreckage of of my my presence presence. Mm -hmm. and i listened to it and i couldn't stop listening to it and it was so good it's so funny yeah it's really like honest and um and yeah just funny and i so i loved funny. it i loved awesome. it yeah I'm glad you liked it See, yeah now you like housewives now i like housewives now you have to start watching it with me i mean you know it is okay <laughs> we're recording on a wednesday and it's like uh, the tv is in this room yeah and i know that at eight o'clock comes on new york and then right after that comes on um Beverly Hills. Oh, we better get going. And I'm just like, wrap it up, <laughs> Shelly. All right. I got some to watch. That's Jen's way of telling me we need to get into some quickies. Yes. So welcome back, Dom Doms. We're excited to be here. Obviously, we needed to chat. Yes, I know. We've already been talking for an hour before we hit record. Okay. Hey, Jen. 
Okay, Sally. So my quickie comes from the BBC Jetco.uk. Mm-hmm. You've heard of it. It's a news agency. Um, so this is a quickie. I've been, I keep seeing this story. It's kind of an older story. It happened in 2008, but... Um, I kept seeing it when I would research things and I wanted to make it into a crazy story, but it's there's just not enough there. But it's uh-huh. it's a really, it's so interesting okay. and kind of crazy in hey, itself. we said we were coming with that banging content. <laughs> we did, so here we are. I'm, I'm coming at you with my banging content. <laughs> <laughs> my hot pod summer. Um, okay, so Agnes Westland was a 68-year-old Swedish woman who lived near this tiny village of Loftehammer with her husband. And then in September 2008, she went out to take her dog for a walk in the forest. And they lived in this pretty, they lived outside the village, so pretty remote area. And she never returned. She was found beaten to death near a forest lake close to her home. Uh, Her death was reported by her husband, Ingemar, who said that he had found her in the snow and then tried to revive her and that, but she was gone when he got there. So police come and they immediately arrest him because they're like, there is no other person around for miles and miles who could have done this. Mm -hmm. And you are the, you're the only person here. And she has obviously been killed by someone. And so he sat in jail for 10 days while the police investigated the crime. He maintained his innocence. He was like, I didn't do this. I found her. I don't know what happened. And all the police could see no other explanation for her death. They also couldn't find any evidence that he was the one who had done it. They didn't find like a murder weapon. They, there was none of his DNA on her. Um, and I mean, he had no blood other than like what would have transferred from trying to revive her. Um, so eventually they had to release him. But all of his neighbors in this small village were like convinced that they're living next to a man who brutally murdered his wife. And it's a small town. And so they were like, you know, get out, (laughs) get out of here. Like we don't want to live near a murderer. And so eventually they ran him out of town. Five months after Agnes was killed, all of a sudden police announced that Ingmar, the husband, had been completely cleared of any involvement of his wife's death. Oh, wow. So... How did they clear him? Well, okay. So I was going to say, so since he was... This is like one of those, like, there's nobody else in the room. And how did this happen? Right? Like, so this is... It was... He was cleared. It is (gasps) almost like an owl. It was an elk. What? Yeah, so the police spokesman, Ulf Carlson, said the improbable has become probable. So apparently when police did this forensic analysis of her clothing, they found elk hair and saliva on her. And they initially, like, they knew elk were around, but apparently European elk are, like, really sweet and they're actually very shy and scared of people. So there's, like, this never happens. Yeah. But because it was fall... Uh, and there, there were a lot of apples that had like fallen from trees and on the ground and they were fermented. Oh. And so they were like, it's suspected that an elk got, got drunk, drunk and <gasps> then attacked her. Oh my God. Yes. So poor Mr. Wetterland, obviously he lost his wife and he said his, he said, my family and I have been dragged through a nightmare and he ended up suing the police for his like yeah. arrest and imprisonment. Um, but I don't think he actually won that because it also is like, well, what else? Why they right, have, what yeah, else yeah. would it? So, um, but isn't that a crazy story mm-hmm. to be like, first of all, you find your wife and then it's like, there's no other suspects. Oh. Nobody else could have done it. But it was the fucking elk. A drunken elk. A drunk elk. elk. 
Oh my god, that is crazy. Yeah. Wow. You really did come in hot with that banging content. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. It's <laughs> just a phrase I'm gonna use from now on. Banging that's our spin-off <laughs> Banging content. Awesome. Love it. Welcome back. Welcome back. <laughs> Alright, let's hear your banging content. Okay. All right, so my quickie this week comes from an article for abcnews.com uh, written by Haley Vaughn. So Courtney Wilson, it's a man named Courtney. Courtney okay. Wilson and um, it. his fiance Shanita Jones, decided to get married. And they sent everybody these like super elaborate invitations to all mm-hmm. of their family and friends to come attend a wedding at their dream home and estate. Okay. Well, and the invitations um, talked about their love story and how they had been reunited via divine intervention 30 years after meeting in high school. And then they asked everybody to join them for the ceremony and the reception that would last until after midnight on that Saturday at this mansion. Okay. Um, their dream home and estate, they said. Uh-huh. But the only problem was... <laughs> What was the problem? That was not their dream home or mansion, <laughs> nor did they get permission to use it. <laughs> On the morning of their wedding, when Courtney began like setting up for the wedding, what they didn't know was that this mansion had cameras all over it. So they just were like, there's an empty mansion. Yeah, so apparently this <laughs> mansion had been on the market for about two years. Yeah. It was listed, it's currently listed for $5.7 million. Uh-huh. Um, it has a swimming pool, hot tub, bar, gazebo, um, tennis courts, elevator, and bowling alley. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it actually owned right now by someone by the last name of uh, Nathan Finkel is his name. I'm sorry. I should just read the article. <laughs> so, uh, You're like, there's no way of knowing what his name is. Oh, wait, it says right uh, we'll, here. We'll never find out. <laughs> Undisclosed. Um, so, <laughs> Nathan Finkel, his father originally owned it, and his, his dad was um, part of the early IHOP restaurant franchise. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, very... he got that IHOP pancake <laughs> money. He's got, got that, that late night drunk food money. Yes. Yeah, so apparently, Courtney Wilson, the groom, had come to an open house months earlier, to pretending to be a buyer uh-huh. and just scoping out the place, and then decided that because it had been sitting there vacant for so long, he thought he could get away with doing a whole wedding there <laughs> that nobody would ever know. <laughs> So, um, also Nathan Finkel, you know, the person who I said we would never know. So he lives on the property in different house. So not only was, did he, was he able to see on the security cameras that someone was in his house setting up a fucking wedding. (laughs) He was there. there. So he just like came (laughs) over and was like, what the fuck? And so, um, the wedding was canceled. (laughs) And they were not able to have uh, their party at. Uh, I don't know if they like ended up, you know, just changing locations. And Did they still pivot? get married? Did they pivot? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I should probably look into that. Um, or you guys can do it. You have Google. <laughs> this isn't that kind of a podcast. We give you this. We give you this story, and then you 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 follow yeah. it down the rabbit hole. So yeah, but that day they did not have their wedding at their That's dream home. Did they get arrested? 
Good question. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the police did come, but they just asked them to leave the property immediately and not come back. And they did, and no charges were filed. Were they there with That's like nice. the catering? <laughs> Maybe <laughs> like something to set up. Yeah, I just picture like a million white t-shirts and bow ties, or right. white t-shirts, <laughs> white button down, and like um, you know, bo- uh, little bow ties yeah. and serving platters with what like. The- the fucking audacity, man. Canapes. That's amazing. I know. It's really fucking amazing. Man, that's some hot content. Banging content. <laughs> We've well, done it twice. <laughs> Pancakes were served. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever gone to an IHOP sober, like in the middle of the I night? I used to work at IHOP. You used to work at IHOP? Oh my God, I bet you because, have stories. Oh yeah. I worked the night shift no. at IHOP when I was in high school. <laughs> Because um, that was the only place that would let you wait tables without being 18. Yeah. So I had like a serving job when I was like six. I worked there, I don't know, six, seven months. And then a friend asked me to do something and I had to work and I didn't feel like yeah missing out. So I just quit. Yeah. That sounds like <laughs> every job I ever had. <laughs> but yeah, in fact, if you ask me to do something that's like fun enough. Yeah. I'll quit my job now. Yeah. I mean, what <laughs> are you if you're a teenager that doesn't quit their job yeah. and have fun? But um, but I always had a job. Yeah. I had like I think I had like 16 jobs or something throughout high school. We like counted like because yeah. I was always changing jobs. But I always worked. But um, uh, but at back then like I and I have you could smoke in it. Yes. And I remember like yeah being like 16 working in the smoking section at night that's where you made the money man the smoking section (laughs) (laughs) i yeah i went to i was a sober driver for a friend's birthday once and everybody ended up at like we rented a van and i was like the chauffeur and i drove everybody like bar hopping and uh and we ended up at ihop and it was like one of those things where it was the first time i had ever been in one sober and like in the middle you know like three in the morning and it was so gross i was just like this it, i will never come back like, yeah is, everything's it, sticky everything yeah. is like boysenberry when you're drunk it seems <laughs> so in. like you're in swingers you know yeah, you're like yeah. oh we're to miss some pancakes and like man sober not the no, same experience disgusting <laughs> but i do call my kids uh cutie tootie fresh and fruity <laughs> i call my kids um moon over my hammy <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> Okay. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for a wild story? Yes. Okay, this one's pretty, pretty wild. Um, so I got my information from an LA Times series uh, that is really great. It's by a writer named Christopher Gofford. I highly recommend reading it after you hear my synopsis. <laughs> Go okay. and like get all the good details from him. He's. I read another article of that was interviewing him about this series like that's how good it is and he was like saying that he spent seven months researching it so thank you for your work also i got from the blog abovethelaw.com and from ocweekly.com by matt coker Okay. okay so on february 16th 2011 Police came to the Plaza Vista School in Irvine, California, and asked to speak to a woman named Kelly Peters. 
Kelly was a 49-year-old mom. She was the volunteer director of the after-school classroom enrichment program, which is basically just their after-school care um, at the school. And she was the school's PTA president. So she was very involved in the school. She was like this mom that everyone knew. She had been like this high-powered in the corporate world for a long time. And once she, she had been trying to get pregnant for a long time. And then when she finally got pregnant, she was like, I'm quitting this job. It's very stressful. And I just want to like, all she wanted to do was be a mom. Right. So she went all in and everybody loved her. She was like this kind of really petite little like hippie lady. And she wore like a peace symbol and, um, and people around, around like everybody knew her in the school. She cared for the children who came to the after in the afternoon program. And she was the one she would always like, wait for the wait with the kids if their parents were late and like kind of try to distract them so they didn't feel sad and then she would never charge the parents a late fee like she was just like it's fine I get it you know so people loved her she was beloved at the school so when an administrator came and asked her to come to the front office because the police were there to see her she immediately was worried that something had happened to her husband because he was traveled as a wine rep so she was like did he get in an accident and she was kind of one of those people who like once she had a child she got like a little paranoid but you know like you're just like all of a sudden your mind goes to like the worst place once you have kids where mm-hmm. you're like did something happen to my child did something happen you know um so she was like kind of at that place in her mind yeah but the officer was like no i'm here because i got a call that you have been driving erratically near the school at 1 15 p.m the caller had said that his daughter was a student at the school so he knew her he said that he had been there and he was worried because he had seen Kelly driving all over the place, he was worried that she was under the influence of drugs because um, he was like, I saw her put something behind her seat and it looked like pills of some kind and I'm afraid there's drugs at the school. And he like knew enough to give like Kelly by her name and her license plate and type of car and like be like, this is exactly where I saw her. Okay, goodbye. He like gave his name and phone number. Um, but so cops went and... And we're like, well, can we look at your car? So she was like, I, I, that, yes, you can look at my car, but like it wasn't me because I was already at the school like well before 1.15. I wasn't like out on the road driving anywhere. Yeah. So the police officer leads her out to the parking lot. He searches her car. And then she watched in shock as the cop found a zip, Ziploc bag of marijuana, a pot pipe, a ceramic pot pipe utensil <laughs> paraphernalia <laughs> uh two smaller <laughs> I just picture my mom being like what is it a pot pipe <laughs> have you been token jennifer smoking your pot pipe <laughs> i guess stick that in your pot pipe and smoke it <laughs> I will. They found two smaller uh, easy dose pill pouch baggies, one that had 11 Percocet pills and the other one had 29 Vicodin. And the pot would be a misdemeanor, but the pills would make a felony charge. So the officer placed the pills on her, the hood of her car and Kelly is crying. She's like, 
I don't know how this got oh, there. Sure. And then she's also like, this is like when school is letting out. So she's like, can you please like, can we put those drugs away? I don't want these kids to see them. I don't want my kid to yeah, come out and see oh them. Oh my God. Like she's like, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know what happened. She was like completely distraught. So the officer takes her inside the school into a conference room and he gives her all these sobriety tests and she passes all of them. He asked the people at the school and they confirmed that she had been there and working well before 1.15. He asked, like, can I search your apartment? And so she was like, yes, of course. And so she drove there with him, but she was like, I'm scared to go I'm in. scared that, yeah. like, somebody, like, planted something in my car. What did they do in my apartment? Yeah. But so he goes in. He's looking for anything to tie her to the drugs that he found in the car, but he couldn't find anything. Like, he was mostly looking for those baggies. And he was just like, it's really unusual that someone would leave all this stuff in their backseat and then ha- well, that they would leave all that stuff in their backseat anyway. Like if you are a drug user and you have drugs in your car, you generally will put it in your, in your glove compartment yeah. or like under a seat or something yeah. away. Like people don't usually just leave drugs out on there. Yeah, no. Um, and, or, and then if she was that careless, like that she would have something in her home yeah. as well. So the officer told Kelly that while she wasn't like totally off the hook, he wasn't going to arrest her. So the police men who was there was like, this is just not adding up for me. Like, she seems very sincere. The timeline doesn't really work out. So police took in the PT Cruiser, which was her car, for evidence and to check for fingerprints. They took swabs of Kelly and her 10-year-old daughter to check for DNA on the drugs. And then the next morning, they interviewed Kelly at the police station, and they asked the question, like, if these aren't your drugs then why, who would want to frame you? You're also like us. Like, PT cruisers are not drug cars. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, you know, a low ride, like, what do you call them? Low rider Hondas. I drive a Honda. <laughs> Look, my car's a drug car. Your <laughs> car's definitely more a drug car than a PT but cruiser. But a PT cruiser. <laughs> Oh man, our on our honeymoon we uh, we rented a car and the only car they had it wasn't a PT Cruiser but it was one that looked like it was called an HHR <laughs> and it looked just like a PT Cruiser. We were like, Are you fucking kidding me? Oh, like, <laughs> driving this car around California. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so okay, so they were like, if this isn't your drugs, like who who would frame you? Yeah, and she looked at the officer and she said, I have an enemy. Dun, dun, dun. Her husband, ex-husband. No. Lava. Ex-lava. <laughs> so it wasn't just one enemy. It was two enemies. Kelly had enemies in a couple named Kent and Jill Easter. So Kent and Jill Easter were both high-powered attorneys. They had gone to, he had gone to UCLA Law School and she had gone to Berkeley. They had met working for a big law firm in Palo Alto. They had gotten married in Sonoma in wine country and then moved to Irvine to start a family. They lived in a big house in Irvine with their three young kids. Jill had quit her practice to become a stay-at-home mom while Kent worked at a partner like 60 plus hours a week at one of the biggest law firms in Orange County. Mm-hmm. So Kelly told police that the whole thing had started over something really small. So a year earlier, Kelly had been working in the afternoon at the after after school program. And it was her job to like round up the kids. They would sometimes have like one or so many days a week, they would have tennis class. And so she would go to the tennis courts, gra- like gather the kids, take them like through the back door of the school, through the 
the front, you know, to the front of the school where the parents would pick them up. So apparently that day, Kent and Jill's six-year-old son had been dawdling. Like apparently he was just kind of like a like head in the clouds kind of kid. He was six. Yeah. Yeah, He sounds like a very like typical six-year-old, right? So, you know, she lined the kids up and then she led the line and I guess he was like wandered off and didn't like the door closed before he could get in and the door was locked, the back door. And she didn't notice until they got to the front of the building. And so within a few minutes, the tennis coach came behind and saw the kid, walked him around the school to the front. Um, But when the boy was like brought out, like not with the other kids, Jill was like, he looks upset. Like, yeah. And she demanded to know how this could have happened. And Kelly was like, you know, he was, he was being slow. I just didn't notice like, um, and this is such a a mistake. I'm so sorry. She apologized over and over to Jill and Kelly had like a really good relationship with this kid. And so he, she gave him a hug and he was like, seemed fine. She said, and Jill at first was like, said that she understood, but then, like, she kept asking questions, and it, like, seemed like the more she was asking questions, like, the more uncomfortable Kelly became with everything, because right. Jill was, like, everything she said had, like, a smile. She had a smile on her face, mm. but it was, like, increasingly accusatory. She kept asking, like, why did the tennis coach bring my son to the front? She was, like, what, you know, kind of, like, implying that, like, did he touch my kid? Uh. And Kelly was, like... No, that, I mean, that's, hap- like, that's typical, like, he's the one who's come bringing up the rear to make sure all the kids are out, like, yeah. you know, um, and then Kelly, as Kelly was, like, walking away, Jill, with a smile on her face, like, loudly to everybody around, was like, I wonder how you can sleep at night with the way you treat people, and then she told Kelly, I'll get you. Oh, my God. Yeah, so Kelly went inside and like cried because she was so upset by this whole thing obviously as you would be you know and meanwhile Jill got more and more mad about this incident like the next day she reported it to the school demanding that Kelly be fired she seemed fixated on the fact that Kelly had said her son was slow which she took to mean that Kelly was saying he was like mentally mentally. yes and and like not that he was being pokey which is what she did mean and Kelly is like yeah, this kid's great. He's smart. He's shy. He's yeah. he's a six-year-old. Like, he's, you yeah. know, he's got his head in the sky. <laughs> like, um, the school investigated. They talked to the coach. They talked to everybody who was around. And they basically were like, this happened the way that Kelly and the coach said. And by the end of the week, Jill had called the principal and said that she didn't want any other children to be hurt. And that both, and like, was both basically, basically like, my husband and I are both lawyers. So you better get rid of Kelly. <sighs> who was a volunteer at the school. So, Oh, my God. So Jill started approaching other parents at the school, like at drop-off and pick-up, to complain about Kelly. She made flyers that she distributed, like, about the incident. But in Jill's version, her son had been left outside for 20 minutes and had emerged with scrapes and bruises, dirty and crying. And the school asked her to stop like talking to people, <laughs> you know, like, can you stop harassing yeah. Kelly basically? But according to the principal, Jill said what she was doing was, isn't harassment that she was fully within her rights and that she was going to continue until Kelly was gone. And the principal said she also stated she might be making a sticker or sign for her car stating what Kelly had done. Oh my God. But what, what would it even say? Just like she, my, my Kelly kid. accidentally shut the door on my kid. Yeah. 
But now she's saying like she purposely left him for 20 minutes and he was hurt and crying and, um, and you know, so next Jill went to the police and demanded they look into Kelly. They were like, there's no crime. So she filed for a restraining order against Kelly, saying that Kelly was harassing and stalking her oh my God. rather than the other way around. And that her and she said that Kelly had threatened to kill Jill, and which, according to Kelly, never happened. There was like no no proof of it. So the court completely dismissed the request. And then Kent Easter, the husband, filed a civil lawsuit against Kelly claiming false imprisonment and intentional infliction of emotional distress of their son. And that lawsuit was dropped. So Kelly was distraught, right? She's like, why is this happening? You know, and she offered to quit her position at the school and the school said no and stood by her. And then the parents reelected her president of the PTA a few months later. So obviously the parents, the school, everyone stood behind Kelly um, so a police were kind of like initially skeptical that these two upstanding lawyers who, you know, like over what seemed to be like a pretty petty event would like plant at drugs in the car of another mom at the school. They're like, this is, this is like something out of like, like fiction, yeah. you know? And so they continued investigating Kelly and they even looked into this dad at the school who was kind of known for bizarre behavior. I feel like there's always one crazy dad at the school you know yeah. like um because oh, he had like yeah he had like <laughs> tried to get kelly's pta job and so they kind of looked into him a little bit but they found nothing um so the detectives on the case started to decided to start with a call that had been made to police about the driving you know about kelly driving erratically so the caller had given a name and number but the name was fake they couldn't find anybody with that name and the number was disconnected. It was obviously like a burner phone. They also noticed that the caller started off with an American accent and then halfway through the call started talking with a really bad Indian accent. <laughs> like, oh my God. Because the name that he gave was like vaguely Indian. And so it was kind of like, oh, wait, I'm going to give an Indian name. I better all of a sudden disguise my voice. Um, so they traced the call and they found it was from a phone in, a, in the business office of this fancy hotel in Newport Beach. And so they looked, they decided to look at the cameras in the hotel Uh and they're like looking to see, they're like, well, maybe it's the dad who had the history of, you know, being erratic at the school. Um, And he was this five foot eight Asian man, but they didn't see anyone who fit the description, but who they did see (gasps) at the hotel was a guy who looked just like Kent Easter. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. So it turns out his office is right across the street from the hotel. So police are now like, okay. God, just imagine like as a cu- like as a couple, they got each other so worked up that they're like, "Here's what we're gonna do. Yeah, we're gonna go get drugs and plan them in the car, and then you're gonna go to the- like, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, neither, not one of them was like, this is crazy. And the fact you know? that they're both attorneys yeah i'm like this is the dumbest plan like it wasn't even a good plan (laughs) it wasn't like uh yeah it just is very it's very bizarre so so they of course are now like yeah these these two dum-dums are behind it so the police kind of secretly start investigating the couple like they don't want them to find out that they're looking into them because they don't want them to like erase any evidence or whatever so 
They found that on the day the drugs were planted between 2.37 a.m. and 4.21 a.m., the couple exchanged 15 texts with Jen's phone pinging off the tower by their house and Kent's phone pinging off the tower by Kelly's apartment. So obviously at that time, they're talking back and forth to each other. Yeah. And he's at Kelly's apartment, probably planting the drugs. Yeah. So a month after the drugs were found, police served um, search warrants on Kent's office and on their home. But before they served the warrants, uh, the warrants on Kent, they approached Kent in the parking garage at his work. And um, they actually, the article that I read noted that his, he, he had a vanity license plate that read... I'm too cool for you. <laughs> UCLA JD1. <laughs> <laughs> and it had like a Stanford University frame around it, which I think is like enough to be like, you're guilty of whatever the fuck yeah. they're like charging him with. It's like, you're just guilty of being a douchebag, so... Yeah. Um, but they basically, they start off kind of acting dumb and be like, oh, have you heard about what's happened at the school? And he was like, oh, no, but I mean, I did have, there was an incident there about a year ago. Um, and then he said, he said, yes, we like filed a lawsuit, but like, then we dropped it. We didn't want to press the issue. He said his quote was bygones be bygones. And so the police are then like, they get more pointed and they're like, look, we know about your cell phone records. Uh, we know about the videos from the hotel. We have you on video making this phone call. And we are now in the process of checking the DNA on the drugs. And he starts to stutter in his answers. And he sounds just like the caller. Oh, my God. On the phone because the, ca- the, the caller had been stuttering. And then Kent is like, I want a lawyer. And that's when uh, they tell him, OK, well, great. We have a search warrant for your office, for your phone, for your car. We'll tell the lawyers at your office. Yeah, we'll tell your lawyers out. <laughs> he said, I, I want a lawyer. It was right here. And in the car, they find pills in the same kind of easy, do- easy wide dose pill pouch that, was, that were found in Kelly's car. So they found the same bags. Um, so at the same time that police are serving warrants on Kent's office, they had gone to the Easter's home to question Jill and search their house. And while they're sitting in this unmarked car outside the house in the morning, before they'd even gone in to approach Jill, they see this man walking up to the house. And this is after Kent has gone to work. So this man walks up to the house. He kind of like spots the police because they're in an unmarked car, but they're not like trying to hide. They're obviously there. They're going to, they're just waiting to um, go in, but he spots them. And then he turns around and like kind of runs off. And as he's running off, he calls someone as he gets into his pickup. And then Jill opens the door wearing only a very sexy negligee. (laughs) She also notices the police and she hurries back inside the house. So, Police stop this guy in the pickup, and it turns out he's this L.A. firefighter named Glenn Gomez who was having an affair with Jill. Oh, my God. That's a twist. Right? So he was also married, but apparently the two have been sleeping together for two and a half years. So police checked Glenn's phone records and work records and found that he had been in L.A. at the time of the drug planting. So... They were like, he didn't do it. Mm -hmm. But they asked him, they're like, will you wear a wire to get something off of Jill? And they kept being like this. Well, what did they have on him? So like, why would would they get him to do that? I, they, apparently they were just like, I mean, he was married too. They were kind of like holding that over his head. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. 
With the motivation. With the motivation. Why would he help them out? Also, right. he's a firefighter, I think. Maybe yeah, that's it's like... not a good look. He feels like it's his duty, I guess. I don't know. But... Um, and they kept saying, like, she's going to bring you down. She's going to ruin your life. Like, that's what the police kept saying to him. And he kept saying, like, I love her. I love her. Oh, my God. <laughs> so... So he and Jill met, he wore a wire and they met at the park and Jill didn't tell him anything concrete, but she like raged about like, you're abandoning me. This is my time of need and you're leaving me. I'm not going to survive this. And Glenn told police like after they met up that they ended up breaking up and Jill went nuts. She showed up at his Long Beach home and told his wife about (gasps) the affair. She had all like emails. Chilled nuts. Fuck out. Yeah, I think Jill has an issue. She had like emails and photos. She sent uh, a letter that detailed the affair to the dance studio where his wife worked. Oh my God. Like, so basically it was like, I mean, like, that's so awful. And, And he told the police that it was written in the third person as if it was like some close friend of Jill's who was writing it. And yeah, so... One of the things that police also found in the Easter's home when they searched it was a self-published novel by Jill that featured a woman who was like hellbent on revenge and hellbent on like doing like doing the perfect crime. So, I mean, it wasn't the same kind of crime, but they were just like, okay, this is yeah. who we're dealing with, right? Um, I should also mention that she's like real dumb. No, I well, she okay. might not be dumb because she like she's a, got I'm a law kidding. degree. No, but she's like <laughs> real pretty in a in a very like Botoxy kind of Real Housewives kind of way. Yes, <laughs> she's gorgeous. She's gorgeous. She's gorgeous. <laughs> uh, but she looks. She has like those blank eyes that you're just like, ah, oh, something's something's going on in there. Nice. <laughs> yeah, she's your kind of gal. Good and glazed over. So. <laughs> Around the time, like the same time as this whole thing, like that they were doing the searches, they also, police got lab results from the drugs and they found that Jill and Ken's DNA were all over the drugs, of course. But police didn't make any arrest yet because by this time, Easter. Are you looking at their pictures? If if she looks like a real housewife. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Fair. Actually, she looks a lot like Vicky Gumbleson. Does she? Maybe the original her. OC. <laughs> wow. She okay. might now. She keeps changing her name. So, like, since this, so let she, me just say this article that just popped up is titled "Jill Easter Lays an Egg." <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I saw that one. <laughs> That's amazing. It's on the OC Weekly. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I did. I did get some stuff on the OC Weekly. It's very catty. I liked it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um. Okay, sorry. Okay, so they they both lawyered up. Obviously, they're rich and they are high-powered lawyers. They Mm -hmm. hired high-powered lawyers. So the lawyers are basically blocking them from looking at their phones because they're like, it's attorney-client privilege. There's information from his practice on the phone and also spousal privilege. Their communications to each other. So basically, like, over a year had passed, like, from the time that this happened to the time that, like, like nothing there was no arrest made even though they had all this evidence against them but the easter and the easter's children were still going Going to to school school where kelly worked 
So Ken got promoted at his law firm. Kelly, on the other hand, was scared all the time. I'm she, sure. Right. So she like, she said she would go out, she would search her car every morning for drugs. Did she stay working at the school? She stayed working at the school because she was like, this is my community. They stood yeah. behind me. But still, she's having to see this woman all the time. Um, her daughter, who was, you know, 10 at the time, became like super paranoid Aww. that she was like going to get abducted or something. <gasps> she just was like... Her husband would come home to find both of them crying all the time. Kelly, like, got paranoid and wouldn't go anywhere, like, without her friends. She wouldn't go for walks unless she was with somebody. So, finally, after a year of, like, the police were lobbying pretty hard to get the DA's office to file charges, but they just were like, we don't have enough. These are lawyers. We're not going to get them. A new prosecutor was elected, and he decided that he had enough evidence to convict the Easters. So... The two were arrested and they were quickly out on bail. But as the DA prepared for a trial, Jill Easter came in and decided to plead guilty to a felony count of false imprisonment by fraud or deceit. And she ended up getting 120 days in county jail and 100 hours of community service. She was immediately disbarred. Um, Kent then went to trial and his defense was basically... My wife made me do it. Oh, my God. So he testified that Jill had become obsessed with destroying Kelly. He said that she had been the one to plant the drugs and that she had forced him to make the phone call. He said he worked so many hours because his wife basically was like money hungry and status hungry. And so that's why he was like he worked like so many hours a week. And he said he knew that Jill had been unfaithful to him on and off over the years. But he said, I felt my job was to be a a husband, to stay married. Nobody in our family had ever gotten divorced, which I always think is such like a bullshit answer. But Mm -hmm. um, so then he presented this email that Jill had sent him in March of 2010 after the run in with Kelly. And it said that she it said like time to get serious. That was the like that was the subject line. It said she wanted Kelly Peters background check. She wanted her arrested. She wanted her slapped with a restraining order. She wanted to sue Kelly, the school, the school district, the school board, the public school foundation. And she wanted action by tomorrow. And then it ended all caps set that said, why are we letting this no one abuse our son and then trash our family? And then it had 68 exclamation points. Oh, my God. So that is like the headspace this woman was in. So he claimed that the reason his cell phone was pinging when the drugs were planted was because Jill had taken his cell phone when she went to plant the drugs. So prosecutors like did not buy it, but the jury was actually hung. They didn't couldn't come to a a conviction. There was like 11 people wanted to convict, but one woman was like a holdout. Do you think that was strategic that she took a plea deal like and pled guilty and then he went to trial yeah so that he could keep his bar like yes that's exactly why yeah very good chat that's good and because like he was the breadwinner at the time and so basically needed to be able to continue to work yeah Yeah. and so that like she took a plea so then he could blame it on her and like because she had already pled guilty and so then he could hopefully get out of it and keep working and people wouldn't be like well why are you still together because he's like because we don't get divorced in my family Mm -hmm. yeah Um, exactly i can see this shit (laughs) from a mile away jim's guy you can't fucking fool me (laughs) 
can't get anything past me. <laughs> and do you know why? Because I'm an expert on housewives, you stupid bitch head. <laughs> I learned everything I know from the housewives. <laughs> The real Vicky Gunvalson <laughs> taught me everything I need to know. She would have never pulled this rinky-dink <laughs> scheme. She would have gotten away with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, so they the first... At the first trial, it was like a hung jury, and then they went back to trial. And investigators actually looked more closely at the cell phone records, and it looked like... I don't exactly know how they proved it, but they they were able to show basically that both cell phones at one point were at Kelly's apartment. Ah, so they were like, they were both there. They're together. Yes. Mm-hmm. So this time the jury convicted Kent in two hours. Um, and the judge ex- ordered Kent Easter to be taken directly into custody, which they were not expecting this, I guess. He's like, I didn't make any arrangement for my kids to pay my bills. Like the judge was like, okay, you have a day to arrange your affairs just out of concern for your children yeah and when he told his wife what had happened because she was already serving her sentence uh he said later in court papers that she told him that he should kill himself so that she could collect the five hundred thousand dollar life insurance policy oh my god yeah so he was sentenced to only he was only sentenced to 180 days in jail 100 hours community service and three years of probation and he filed for divorce. Um, so, okay. So in 2015, Kelly Peters sued the Easters for emotional distress. Kent Peters represented himself because he was unable to afford his own attorney. Um, he called his ex-wife Jill to the stand who now goes by the name Ava Everhart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just so, okay. So Jill slash Ava basically got on the stand and complained that it was her life who had been ruined all the, by all this. She was like, and then in his closing arguments, Kent also said, I'm simply a parent of a young family that is broke. So I really came here already having lost everything I have except for my family. And I submit that there is no further point in additional punishment. And the jury was like, mm, no, no. They're still going to give you some punishment. Yep. million to Kelly Peters. And so it took Kelly a really long time to collect any of that money. So in 2016, Kelly appeared on the Dr. Phil show to promote a book she had written about the incident. um, That The only reason she was like, I didn't want to be in the spotlight, but she wrote this book in order to raise money for her husband's leukemia treatment. Um, So she went on Dr. Phil to promote this book. Kelly did. Kelly did, yes. And Dr. Phil, of course, being Dr. Phil, did an interview with Jill that was like pre-taped. They weren't in the same room. But in this Uh. video, Jill denies everything and blames the whole thing on Kelly. Like it's basically like, she's the one who harassed me. She did. I'm the victim here. Oh, my God. And I mean, it's she comes off as so unlikable and and awful you should watch the video but so finally in 2018 kent easter paid some of the money to kelly um she has sold the rights to her book to netflix who at least in 2018 was being um was in development to be produced by george clooney starring julia roberts as kelly and wow i can't wait to see it when it comes out so wow i wonder who's gonna play jill i know or ava 
<laughs> Ava Everhart. Vicky Gumbelson. <laughs> she's not on the Housewives anymore, so she's got plenty of time. <laughs> she's available. <laughs> Hook it up, Jen. <laughs> I will. Oh my God, that's wild. Wild. Can you imagine being that obsessed over no. like some small perceived slight to your kid? Like, I mean, I Dude, can't what if be. she listens to the podcast and then she's going to mm. be obsessed with us? I mean, and like everyone else is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> we could use, we could really use a deranged fan to really yeah. up boost our, really boost our ratings. <laughs> we could, we could sell something on Netflix. that's real deranged. <laughs> Send them. An episode. <laughs> you guys know I don't lock my bathroom window, so. <laughs> right. They can definitely murder Sally. Um, awesome. Dude, great job. Great first story back. Thank you. I still got it. Yes, sure do. Sure <laughs> do. Hey, Sally. Hey, Jen. You ready for a love story? Yes, I've missed a love story. Good. We haven't had one in a while. <laughs> <laughs> one month to be exact. Um, this is a really great love story for the New York Times written by Alex Strauss. Okay. Um, Thanks, Alex. I really like this story. In 2016, when Kimberly Steven went to uh, the Major Hill Library in Chesapeake, Virginia. She picked up this book called Until I Saw Your Small, A Smile, which was written by J.J. Murray, okay. who also goes by John Murray, who is a romance writer. And so he's actually known for writing stories that have multiracial storylines and characters. Okay. And Kimberly, who is a huge fan of romance novels absolutely loved the book um so she finished the novel in three days she said and she actually is she loves romance novels so much that she owns a literary website where she blogs about them okay um and then her full-time job is she's a youth contractor specialist for the hampton roads workforce council which or offers employment services when she reads the like books that she likes so much she likes to like know who the authors are mm-hmm. and like so she sends them facebook uh, friend request. Yeah. So that's kind of just like a normal thing that she does. So she sent a Facebook friend request to John Murray and he accepted it the very next day. He said that he accepts all friend requests. Yeah. You know, when you're, do you accept every single friend request when you're a comedian? I know. I know people do, but I, I know don't. people do. And I know that I should, but as a woman, yeah, that's the- <laughs> there's a lot of shit out there. Yeah, I mean. I know. It's like whenever I see get a friend request from a dude, and then I see that every friend that we have in common is like 300 other women comedians. Yeah, I'm like, that's a I'm big. like, no. Uh-uh. I just picture that he's like collecting us all like porcelain dolls <laughs> that he keeps under his bed. That is exactly <laughs> the picture I have, too. I'm like, it's I like, don't know. Like, another woman comedian. <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, but so, but I understand he, so he, he, um, uh, accepts all of his friend requests because to him they're potential readers. Yeah. Which, you know, harmless. You exactly. know, I totally understand why he does that. So he accepted her, um, friend request, not thinking anything of it. 
But, you know, when you see people's friend requests and you can see things that they're posting, too, yeah. you know? Um, that's how Facebook works, guys. <laughs> um, so, Jen, this is our new segment of Jen Explains Social Media. <laughs> yeah. Next week, a TikTok. <laughs> then MySpace. Um, so, um, in October, Kimberly had wrote, written this really nice personal essay about um, she had just completed a 5k run Mm -hmm. for the ability center of virginia which is a nonprofit group that provides services to people with disabilities Um, because she herself has cerebral palsy she was diagnosed with it when she was two and a half years old and so she on her facebook account she'll post about her life and things that you know that she's been through and, and then she also advocates for others and so, but it, she, you know, she says that I tell people cerebral palsy is my superpower. Yeah. And then the essay apparently had a photo of her. She's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then, and then a video of her with holding her medal. And so John, who's 57 years old, was just like, you know, behind, just following her and just thinking quietly and looking at all of her accomplishments and yeah. stuff and, and all of her posts. And he told the New York Times, I was going through a terrible divorce and was in a bad place. He said, I accept everyone who friends me because those are potential readers. But when I watched Kim's video and read about what she had been through and accomplished, I found her inspiring and I found myself thinking about her a lot. Oh, okay. And so... Even though they had never communicated directly, just they just were Facebook friends, but yeah. they never said anything to each other. And then him seeing all this information uh, like about her life, he ended up writing a 235-page book called um, Kicked to the Curb, which was inspired by her. So she was his muse. Wow. And he wrote the book in just two months, which... You've written a book. You know that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Two months. So John says, my characters are powerful women. He's written 45 novels, by the way. Okay. He said, my characters are powerful women. I'm drawn to women who have it all together. From her video, from her video, I could see she did. I thought she was cute and fierce and had a beautiful smile. So they a whole another year went by and they hadn't talked to each other at all. Like, yeah. Like she has no idea that her, this author that she admires wrote a book about her yeah and can you imagine being like you love romance novels so much that you have a blog and you follow like you're like follow these authors and this author that you admire is like you're his muse. That's yes. like everybody's dream, dream right? I know. <laughs> so in January of 2018, he ended up sending her an email asking her if she would read his next no- novel that he had written for factuality and authenticity, he said. Yeah. And so um, she said <laughs> she was flattered and charmed, but also creeped out. <laughs> she was creeped <laughs> out because... He had to do some dig. He, she said, "I had he had to do some digging to find my private email address." She did agree to read the manuscript. She said, "I was surprised at." So this is the book about her. Yeah. And she said, "I was surprised at how accurate he had gotten me and the material." Then after she talked to him about the book and stuff. They started emailing daily and they would talk on Facebook Messenger and stuff. And he said that he was trying to be professional with her, like he didn't want him her to think that he was stalking her yeah um and he he said that i didn't write the book to meet her but i wanted a friendship you yeah know? and so i can see that where you just like like of course 
if you don't know someone, it's easy to like project things and make things up about their life, like just after. You know, yeah. just like a Facebook snapshot of them. Yeah, like, like maybe you don't even really want to know. Yeah, you just are like, this is just, yeah, like an inspiration. And Yeah. And so, but then that following March when um, Kim was um, speaking at the Cerebral Palsy um, Conference in Suffolk, Virginia, he ended up driving out there to hear her speak. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she said that when she saw him, she said, I was fangirling the moment I saw him. And then she said that she was like surprised because he was attractive and he was established. And she said, I thought he wouldn't be interested in me because I was younger because um, he is actually 18 years years older than her okay um so he has two sons from his first marriage um and she has never been married and she doesn't have any children and and he lives four and a half hours away from her in roanoke virginia but apparently when they met their connection was just undeniable yeah and so i love i like a a beautiful young woman being like, I didn't think he would be interested in me because I was <laughs> I'm younger. So young. I'm so I know. young. I'm so <laughs> young and beautiful. <laughs> Who likes that even? <laughs> Whose time is that? I mean, he holds my gorgeous face. <laughs> He's only been fantasizing about me for the last year and published a book and probably wrote all sorts of sexy things about me. <laughs> I know. And so um, she said that... Um, um, so that they spent the whole day together and they had dinner and they just talked the entire yeah. time. And then that July, apparently he goes on an annual trip to Canada with his dad and um, and she went to the Bahamas for a family reunion. But when she came home, he had um, sent her a Canadian care package filled with like a teddy bear and scarf and a tea and cookies it says because like that's just stuff he thought that she would like that he's that's really Canada. sweet and she said that her mother was like you know he's in love with you know? like, <laughs> no man goes to canada yeah. and sends all these things back like no man sends a care package i know i know <laughs> and so uh, apparently a month later um in august they had their first date when they were celebrating her 36th birthday and um, they spent the weekend in Chesapeake shopping, playing miniature golf, eating at a Mexican restaurant, and then sharing a Saturday afternoon kiss, the article says. And then um, a week later, um, he had a book signing in Raleigh, North Carolina, and she um, went with him. Yeah. And she said that's when they officially became a couple. She said, I realize this is the person I want to be with. I dated other guys who had issues with my cerebral palsy or didn't want to date me because I was sick. John was everything. He was considerate and caring. I didn't have to worry if he was going to wash his hands and be done. After that weekend, I knew he would be there for me. Which is so sweet. Wow. And then he says the same thing about her. He said, um, when she held my hand, it felt like coming home. She made me feel calm. He said, I'm a nurturer and a caring person. She became the one I wanted to give attention, help, and love to. So for the next year and a half, they dated and then um, they would have like monthly visits because they live like four and a half hours mm. away. She got to know his sons, John Tay and Joshua, who are 22 and 26, and his father, um, John Stevens Murray, who's 82. They would spend time together during family trips and then like you know hospital stays also because she does get sick sometimes yeah and and then they took a trip 
to the jewelers to research wedding rings. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so in December of 2019, though, um, Kimberly became really sick. It said two months went by with not knowing what was wrong with her. Yeah. Uh, but now they think that it, it was probably COVID, but this was like December. Oh, yeah. So like people didn't really know what was going on yeah. then. And um, he, uh, John said, that was very scary. We didn't know it was wrong. Kim had several strokes. That was scary too. Her, her cerebral palsy has been a part of her life. Now it's part of both of our lives. There are challenges, but they're worth it. Her spirit and mind and creativity outweigh everything else. When she ended up in March 2020, Mm -hmm. right when the lockdown happened, Kim and her mother went to Qatar to celebrate her mother's birthday. And then they they returned and then she had to quarantine with her family because of imposed lockdowns and travel restrictions. So she couldn't go back home until June. Oh, wow. So she said she didn't see John for 101 days. She said that was torturous. And so um, on August 30th, 2020, is when he proposed to her. Yeah. It was, um, and it was on the anniversary of their first date, which they recreated by going to the same Mexican restaurant. She went to the bathroom, and mm-hmm. when she came back, there was a ring sitting on the table, and John was crying. Aww. And then she started crying, and then um, she, he asked her if she wanted to get married, and she said yes. And John said, if this is as bad as life gets, we're going to have a great marriage because we've been through so much in this relationship. And they got married on April 30th, 2021 by the pastor of the Grace Tabernacle Church. And they got married at the Butcher's Sons restaurant in Virginia Beach. Okay. And there were 45 guests. John's sons were his best men. Oh, um, I know. And he said, <laughs> he told the New York Times, I've always written great loves for my characters. There wasn't one in my own life. Now there is. Kim went from a character to a friend to a lover and now my wife. I found a happiness and I don't, I didn't know I could feel. And then she said, I never thought this was going to happen. This is the first relationship I didn't feel like I had to hide a piece of myself. John has stepped up over and over again. He's my real life romance hero. Oh, isn't that sweet? It's really sweet. I know. It's just like, I just love, you know, well, I love all of our love stories. (laughs) But I love stories like this where it's just like, you know, it's kind of like they wrote the love story themselves yeah. before they even met, you know? Yeah. That's oh, my love story. I love it. And I love, you know what I think? She's like exactly the person that we're talking about where we're like this. She like unabashedly loves love stories, loves romances. Yeah. She blogs about it. She's like that. And then her love, her like unsarcastic love of that led her to a real love. Yeah. Amazing. I know. That's so good. Good for you guys. Good for you guys. All right, okay. let's do something dumb and something we love. Okay. All right, I don't have anything dumb because I'm just so happy to be back, Jen. Oh, I'm too. happy to be this here so in person. Great. I know. Uh, it's good to see you across the table. I know, we're just hanging Just out. hanging out like people. It's amazing. And the other thing I love is that we're recording this on Wednesday, 
And tomorrow is Thursday, and it is Ben and I's 15th wedding anniversary. Oh my God, congratulations. Thanks. Do you have any big plans? We do, I'll tell you later. Oh, because you're going to (laughs) Yeah. I hear you. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so it's, you know, it's just seemed, that's so long. (laughs) It feels very, very long, and then also just like a good, feels like a great milestone. Yeah. 15. 15. It's huge. It's huge. So, anyway. Nickelodeon show. Right. <laughs> Canadian Nickelodeon show. Uh, so, Ben, if you're out there, I love you. Aww. <laughs> you Hi. better be listening. So, you better be fucking listening. Ben. Ben. <laughs> I'm not going to send the contract for uh, the next 15. Awesome. Okay, so I guess, like, I'm going to do the same thing for something dumb. Nothing! Yay! Yay! <laughs> we really are. This is fun. Um, no, it's just really like we've been. So this year what is so crazy is that we have been doing this podcast for over two years. And the majority of our recordings have been COVID recordings. Yeah. And not being able to like sit at a table with each other. And so like that's so that's dumb. Yeah, that is dumb. That is dumb. Um, and um, it's so it's and before and I love I love every part about doing this podcast, but recording um, not face to face feels more like okay, let's get this work yeah. done. But recording face to face is like we're just having a good time. <laughs> we're just hanging out. <laughs> we had some sushi. We did have sushi. Um, and um, so and then the other thing that I love is it's official. Pride Month! Yay! Yay. Happy Pride! Happy Pride to everyone, and especially to all of our LGBTQ plus listeners. Um, We dumb love you so hard. Congrats, and let's get out there and celebrate. Yeah! Yeah! Yeah. All right. You guys, thank you so much for uh, hanging with us while we took our break. I hope you enjoyed the... um, our friends podcast that we that they let us post yeah. um, the local news and rock the cash bar um, that was really fun I hope you guys go listen to them go subscribe and then you can find us you can find us on Facebook Twitter Instagram TikTok Twitter all at dumb love podcast you can email us your love stories or your dumb stories whatever you want to email us yeah. uh, at dumblovepod at gmail.com or yeah dumblovepod at gmail.com Um, And we love you guys. We do. And don't forget to get out there and do something dumb for love. Dum, da, dum, 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 da, dum.